0: I'm a little nervous today uh, for several reasons. Uh, the main one is because I have on a dark suit and a and a floppy Bible. It always makes me a little nervous. I went to the Rockets game last night, and uh, <clears throat> when I'm at the Rockets game, or when I am at a, well, generally when I'm at a basketball game, and which I'm not playing, which has been the last 20 years. Uh, I feel uh, almost that uh, acrid taste of of adrenaline from my adrenal glands in my my mouth. And I thought last night, uh, I wonder why 10,000 people a week don't come to Christchurch Cathedral to hear me. I thought to myself, maybe if I wore a black suit and had a floppy Bible, (laughs) they would come by the tens of thousands. And then I concluded that the reason that 10,000 people don't come here on Sunday is because you can go to the Rockets game and you don't have to take it personally. A friend of mine who was teaching his daughter to play tennis and he corrected and criticized, sought to take the error out of her stroke and to teach her a new way. And he said to her, now don't take this personally. And she said, how else can I take it? So you can go to be entertained at the Summit, or the Jones Hall, or the Wortham, and you don't have to take it personally. But here, <clears throat> you've got to take it personally. I began last week by rehearsing with you that wonderful rabbinical story of the rabbi and the community when the community was in Prevail, or great anxiety, or in fear of imminent danger, he would go to the sacred forest. He would light the sacred fire and pray the sacred prayer, and the anxiety within the community would dissipate and integrate into power. For the second generation, <laughs> the second generation uh, rabbi, uh, did the same, except uh, somehow in the tradition he forgot where the sacred place was. So he would imagine himself in a sacred grove. He would strike the sacred fire and say the sacred prayer in the third generation. Uh, the rabbi who had inherited the tradition and didn't know the place, uh, didn't know the ritual of the fire, but he could remember the prayer and he would pray the prayer and the anxiety would dissipate and integrate into the community in the third the fourth generation rabbi had only the tradition. He did not know the sacred place. He could not remember the ritual for the lighting of the sacred fire. He could not remember the sacred prayer. All he could do was simply tell the story of the rabbis and the place and the fire and the prayer. And so it is with the priesthood of this time. I as priest. I have, through the tradition, passed on from tribal leader to tribal leader, from head of family to head of family, from generation to generation. It has been passed to me to be a watchman, a steward of the tradition. And when I was ordained priest, uh, the bishop gave me a chalice and said, keep the mystery alive in the Eucharist. He gave me a Bible, not unlike this one, and said, keep the story alive. And so I come to tell the story. I am a storyteller, as it were, in community. That is my vocation. That's what I'm called to be. And I remind you that I've not been called to be the Christ. I've not been called to be the perfect one in community. I've not been called to be the one that is the one who leads the exemplary life. I'm the storyteller and the one who rehearses the mysterious presence. And I take those responsibilities with some degree of seriousness. It's my job to know the story and to take the story personally. I have two stories to tell. The story of Jesus Christ and the story of Pittman McGeehee. Occasionally, in moments of incredible revelation, occasionally, and only occasionally, and usually only in reflection, there are times, moments, fleeting moments indeed, but it is as though a bubble in history were broken, and eternity and history were one, and those are the moments at which Jesus' story and my story are the same. You don't have to take this personally. But if you don't take the story personally, then you are a religious voyeur come to be titillated by the honesty and revelation of another. I retell the story only in order that you take it personally. And if you want to be entertained, uh, then go watch The Rockets or the nutcracker. If you want to journey, and if you want to be born, and if you want to have some dimension of your life that is more substantial than the superficial need to be entertained, uh, then you better take this story personally. I'm going to tell the story in increments through Advent, we began last week, we'll start again this week. Uh, how many times have you a question of rhetoric not to be answered except personally? How many of you have sat by fire, a lamp, a light, be it a neon or be it fluorescent, sat and read the story for yourselves recently? How many of you have ever if you're honest, with that piece of you that holds the honesty yet available to you. How many of you have ever read it? Well, if you haven't, it's my responsibility to tell it. And then, I have no need or desire to interpret the story for you but I have a desire to interpret it for myself, to take it personally. And as we move through the story, I will give you my personal feelings about the story. And I want to distinguish when it's important between the church's feelings about the story and my feelings. They may be different. When I'm priest, I will hold up one hand. When I'm pitman, I'll hold up the other. And I want you to take the story personally, though you don't have to. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth with a message for a girl, a betrothed to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, and the girl's name was Mary. The angel went in and said to her, Greetings, most favored one, the Lord is with you but she was deeply troubled by what he said and wondered what this greeting might mean. Then the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for God has been gracious to you. You shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall give him the name Jesus. He will be great. He will bear the title, Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David and he will be king over Israel forever. His reign shall never end. How can this be, said Mary? I'm still a virgin. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy child to be born will be called Son of God. What's interesting about angels? Angels uh, literally are messengers. They dwell somewhere in that realm, uh, right on the borderline of imagination and reality. The room is walled, with statuary of angels. It's interesting in the eye of this photographer what the angels look like. I agree with her about uh, the attempt at the amber tones of light and dust, with the shadows and the darkness, even maybe uh, the pensive mood but I disagree with her that they are statues. I disagree with her that they all have wings and long hair, halos and gowns. They are messengers. You remember that somewhat trite story, Oh God, better book than movie, I thought. In the book, The angel is an answering machine. It seems to me if God would send an angel to me, I'm trying to take this story personally, Pittman Church, I'm taking this story personally. If God sent a messenger to me today, uh, then the angel wouldn't look like these. Now, what would the angel look like? It would be a good project for a photographer and a poet to photograph contemporary angels. What would they look like? The messengers of God. An angel's vocation is this, to keep us from being killed by God. That's the angel's job. Remember Moses when he went to the burning bush? This holy event, he took his shoes off, now, it was tough enough being in the presence of that fire that did not consume the bramble in the desert. But don't come any nearer, said the voice. The angels are those things that bring a revelation from God, but do so because if we stood in the full presence of God, we would expire. Now, it may be inspirational to be in the presence of God, but to be in the full presence of God, we would expire. So in order to be inspired and not expired, God sends messengers, and their job is to insulate us from the heat of the truth. And so they come in many forms. Anytime we begin to get too close to God, an angel appears or when we are absolutely desolate and we have no relationship with God, an angel appears and brings us back into relatedness. It seems to me, as I take this personally, that angels might look like uh, you. They might uh, be as innocuous as a messenger with a message. Hot shot! The message is more important than the messenger. And that's why the angels are so innocuous. I mean, sometimes we don't even know that the messenger was there. We just get the message. it's like UPS leaving the package at a neighbor's house. I mean, the message comes, and if the messenger was more powerful than the message, we wouldn't hear the message. So the angels... Just blend in. They look like messengers. They might be babies, born or unborn. We had a terribly wonderful week two weeks ago with the unbirth of a baby in this community in which at the memorial service for the baby who lived only a womb life and was not finally called into history, I said, let's pretend. Because that's when human beings become more than they are, is when they pretend. Children say, let's pretend we're adults. You be mother, I'll be father, and this will lead us into adulthood. Let's make our games adult games. And that will teach us how to become more. So let's pretend that we're in another time. Once upon a time is the message of the fairy tale. Let's pretend that. And so, it's okay to do that in religion. That's what religion is about wishful thinking. Let's pretend. Let's say that. Let's imagine that this baby was an angel, a messenger that had a nine month, a journey with a message for a mother and a father and a family. And we have the rest of our lives to try to understand what the message was. But the message has come. The angel of the Lord appeared to the family and brought a message. The message is so important that the messenger went away. Where are the angels in your life? In the six-month, the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary. What would she have said to us about what Gabriel looked like? We don't hear much about him anymore. The story is not focused upon Gabriel, is it? He came with his message, and he went away. This is, some of you have heard me speak before, the Incarnation is this way. Martin Bell, and a poem called Incarnation it says that God is like the Lone Ranger. That he comes and visits and leaves and we don't always recognize him except he leaves a silver bullet. Now, you don't have to take this story personally if you don't want to. Except it seems to me that one of the great wastes of a life would be to spend it in some kind of horizontal vision and never look to the right or to the left or above or below to see if you'd received a message. Now, God works with me in mysterious ways. His wonders to perform. And one way God doesn't work with me is with... Direct, undeniable messages. They are to the left or to the right. They are below or they are above. They're not exactly where I want them to be or in the words that I understand immediately. This is the nature of God with me. Others it is different. For some, I believe, they have so uncluttered their mind through prayer, study, and discipline that they receive direct voice and revelation. Not so with me yet. Now God sends messengers in forms of human beings or events or names or places. I've seen angels in movies and in books and poems and songs. I've even seen angels just appear between my forefinger and thumb out of a pen. They have welled up from within me, uh, worked their way through my system, out through my fingertips, onto a piece of paper. How can this be? The angel Gabriel appeared to Mary. Now, if you simply want to be entertained by the story, it is entertaining, but I doubt if you'll come back. There's better entertainment in town. Because I think you have to take this story personally. Suppose, just suppose for a moment, let's pretend it's okay to do so. Religion is pretending. We're pretending that it's all whole. And we're on our way there. We now know everything we will know. And we're so excited about the possibility of the between now and then as we discover it. We're on our way. We're a traveling show, as it were. Now, we take this very personally, and we're wondering, where are the messages for us? Now, why in the world have we waited so long to look for the angels? And where are they? Can we photograph them? Can we speak of them? Will we know them? Or will we only know that they've been there and they've left because we'll have the package And it will be like a bullet, a silver bullet. A messenger has come. What will you do with the message? You must take it personally. Let's pretend that the messenger came to you. Don't worry about your gender. Suppose... The messenger came to you. Come on, Pittman. Don't ruin a good story by personalizing it. It's a wonderful story, but you're ruining the story for me. Because you're inviting me into play. I just want to sit back and be entertained by it. What if the angel came to you and said, I want the Christ to be born in you? the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth. You remember what Philip said when he heard that the Messiah was in Nazareth? My God, what good can come out of Nazareth? It's like saying Jesus is being born in Conroe. <laughs> or ride. Well, that's not so hard to think. <clears throat> to a town, a real town, a small town, a dirty town. Nazareth. What good can come out of Nazareth? With a message, the angel is a messenger. What did Gabriel look like, you? What does he look like today? with a message for a girl betrothed to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The girl's name was Mary. Now all of that's very important to the story. You must know that. There had welled up within this rules religion called Pharisaical Judaism a desire to transcend the limits of the law. And so there was great expectation of the Messiah, which means in Hebrew, God-bearer. The same word in Greek is Christ. And it means bearer of God. So there was this expectation within the Jewish community. The story known as well as Christmas or Easter. It was a story. Everybody knew the Messiah was coming. When the Messiah comes. And a messenger comes to Mary. My guess is she's 14. She's betrothed, which means she isn't married to Joseph. Now, in those days, the best guess is that betrothal meant that people lived together until the baby came. The baby then was the blessing of God upon the marriage, and they were married. But they hadn't even gotten to the place of living together yet or having sexual intercourse. How can this be? Now, Joseph is very important because he was a descendant of David, and David was the paradynamical king. And in order for this story to work, the messenger comes to this poor little girl in Nazareth, and they have to get her to Bethlehem Because that's the city of David. And so they travel there, if you remember, in order to register for taxation. And that gets them to Bethlehem where it is that the Messiah will come. The God-bearer, the Christ. And so, he is through Joseph in the lineage of David. Suppose... A messenger came to you and said, you know, we have talked about the Christ coming back, a second coming, the parousia, the rapture. Well, let me tell you how it's going to be done this time. And you thought your life was worthless. What if a messenger came to you and said this time, in this time, that Christ will be born in you. Just pretend. A descendant of David, the girl's name was Mary, the angel went in and said to her, Greetings, most favored one. The Lord is with you. Wow. Has anybody ever said that to you? Come to you and said, The Lord is with you because of my message and presence. My guess is we would have that person committed strong guess, or at least we'd give him a dollar to so go away. Just a tip. But she was deeply troubled by what he said, wouldn't you be, aren't you? Is there any level of anxiety in this room when I as messenger have come to you to say the Christ will be born in you this year? Just pretend. Deeply troubled by what he said and wondered what greeting this greeting might mean. Now, what are the implications of this for you? It might change your life. I mean, if the messenger came to you this year and said, "Uh, Christ is going to be born again, and this time in you, The Lord is with you. You might wonder what this greeting might mean for your life. I mean, somebody might accuse you of being religious. (laughs) One thing Episcopalians never want to be accused of. We don't, The Episcopal Church doesn't require you to take this personally. And then the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, for God has been gracious to you. You shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall give him the name Joshua. Which is what Jesus means. And if you remember, it was Joshua, not Moses. Who led the people into the promised land? Jesus is a derivation of Joshua. And the word Joshua means Savior. So to Mary's ear, she understood all of that. He shall be named Savior. Joshua. Jesus. He will be great. He will bear the title Son of the Most High. The Lord God gave him the throne of his ancestor David. That's blasphemous, you know. His messenger probably ought to be killed coming in saying such blasphemous things to us. Christ will be born in you this year. How can this be, said Mary? I'm still a virgin. I'm glad that's in the story. There was a time I wasn't, but I'm glad it's there now. It's one of the wonderful scandals. A scandal, of course, is a rock in a path. A scandal is something in your way. This is the scandal of Christianity to have this here. I'm glad we have to deal with it. I'm glad it's here in front of us. I'm glad we have to deal with the virgin birth so that we don't try to sanitize it or rationalize it or intellectualize it. It's just there. I am a virgin. Now, what she was saying is, though I am betrothed, we have not had sexual intercourse. How can this be? Well, so for the rest of our lives, we've had to ask the question, how can the Christ be born in me? Me? You mean this is something directly between God and me? doesn't involve anybody else? You mean I've got to take this... Can you imagine the angel saying to Mary that, that this is something between God and you, and the Messiah will be born within you? But you don't have to take it personally. Now, what is the message here? Well, the messenger is saying that this birth is between you and God. Suppose I came to you and said, Christ will be born in you, and this is something that is implanted within you by the Holy Spirit, and out of you will come majesty, majesty, salvation, a redemption, new life, the never before, wholeness. How can this be? I want us to keep the virgin birth right in front of us. This is something between Mary and God. Something personal. Oh, I know... You know there there is the desire to try to take this part of the story and uh, rationalize it protheogenesis it's not unusual for cattle or sheep occasionally to have a spontaneous pregnancy could happen right that's what happened sure It's just a Spontaneous pregnancy, like a like a she-goat somewhere. Yeah, that's it. Now yeah, I feel much better. Well, that solves that problem I had religiously. Just a spontaneous pregnancy, like, like the burning bush, which is spontaneous combustion out in the desert. Happens all the time. And so that's probably what this was. Oh no, that's ridiculous. You're confusing gynecology and theology. See, what this really meant was that the word in Greek doesn't mean virgin like somebody who's never had sexual intercourse. What the word in Greek means is young maiden. Just young girl. Just synonymous with that. So we don't really know whether she had really had intercourse with Joseph or not. And so maybe she had, and what? Oh yeah, that helps. Oh, that solves that. Sure. makes me feel much better. I guess where I am now, that I'm no longer a sophomore in college worrying about the virgin birth. Well, I can't be a Christian because I don't believe in the virgin birth. That's integrity, you know? (laughs) Uh, That's the statement of somebody who's done a whole lot of work on finding an excuse not to have to take it personally. Well, I would be a Christian except I just can't believe all that stuff. Okay, well, don't take it personally. That's fine. Just come and be entertained by it. And you'll walk away, and once again you will have watched them play, and you go home, and you haven't changed a bit. I'm glad the virgin birth is there. I'm glad we have to deal with it. I'm glad we have to ask the question, just like Mary did. How can this be, Mary said, when the messenger came in the sixth month? and said, you're going to have the Christ born within you, and this is something strictly between you and God. This message is personal. How can this be? The virgin birth makes us either turn and walk away, or begin a journey that never ends. It depends on whether you see it, as a story or your story, a messenger is coming to you saying that Christ will be born in you, it will be implanted within you by the Holy Spirit, it will radically change your life you may receive it or you may say no i don't think so i like my life the way it is and so you can do with this story what you will you can be warmed for a moment in time by the portrayal of a storyteller is really telling you his story, the confession of one publicly who sees this story as a personal story, that I have had divine intercourse with God, and the Spirit dwells within me, and is born again and again in the most mundane of events, out of Drumwright, Oklahoma's, Out of fear and anxiety of imperfection. Out of the tension of being expected to be something I could never be. Out of the scapegoating of those who are willing to say, well, if you really are Christian, then how come you're not perfect? It's taken me places I would never have gone but I believe that the quality of my life is much better than any superficial game that I could sit and watch. This is one that I can play. God has told me I'm a star. You don't have to take this person.